Hello, hello everyone. Good morning. How are you? Welcome to Wednesday Bible study. That's right. You see, I'm not used to saying that. I'm so used to saying welcome to Monday Bible study, but it's Wednesday Bible study now. And I'm so glad if you can join with us today, but if you can't, that's okay. Um, I am also on podcasts now, so you can look me up on podcasts, uh, which are being, some of the old ones are being pulled out and put on podcasts, but you could also just watch it on um, Catch Up, okay? So if that's what you want to do, let me just take a swig of my coffee, which I'm always trying to give up coffee, but you know what? I don't want to. I actually really like it, so there you go. So here I'm drinking my coffee. I drink a lot less though. I, that, that'll be it for the day. One little cup. It's like half a cup. Anyway. <laughs> All right. We're in the Beatitudes. We've been on the Beatitudes for weeks and weeks and weeks, but because this is a sermon that Jesus preached that was genius. And you know, I always realize anything that Jesus said is super important, is something that I need to be looking at. You know, those uh, Bibles that have the red letter edition, it's all the words that Jesus spoke um, and they're all written in red. Well, you know, I never actually read the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes in particular, with such depth. Um, and to be honest, I don't know why I haven't because I, my life is really being impacted by the words of Christ as I'm really thinking about them and taking each point to heart of what he says in the Beatitudes of what will give you a blessed life. Who doesn't want a blessed life? Blessed means happy. And the we talked about this multiple, multiple times in the past, so it means happy. Um, but there's this idea that comes with the word blessed in the Hebrew language, and it means to be enlarged. And I love that because as Jesus is speaking these words to his listeners then and his listeners now, um, we're saying, uh, you know, enlarge our thinking, Lord, as we read what you say, as you give us your your truth and um and wisdom, enlarge our thinking so that we take on more of the thinking of God. Because that's what we want. We want to we wanna see it like God sees it, you know? And that's why this sermon is so genius and so wonderful and why we really need to be looking at it quite closely. Remember who Jesus is and was then. Um, he was God with us. Imagine if I said, hey, two o'clock today, God himself is going to be on the internet and you can watch him live give a sermon. Imagine that. Well, this is the written version of that very thing. Jesus, God incarnate, comes to earth and gives us a sermon. And he begins this sermon, Sermon on the Mount, with the Beatitudes. And each Beatitude begins with blessed is. So he's telling you with each one that you're blessed if you do this. You're blessed if you do this. We also know... The Beatitudes um, and the Sermon on the Mount, uh, well, in particular, the Beatitudes, are, are Jesus telling us what the character of a Christian should be like. Um, and hey, right from the mouth of God with us, yes, that's what I want to know, what my life as a Christian should be looking like, how it should be characterized. Okay, so we are on the final Beatitude that deals with our character. Um, this is the one that, that Jesus ends with. This is his final one that ends with, you know, um, that deals with our character. 
Um, and what we have talked about and I've mentioned about the Beatitudes, is that they are progressive, starting with um, like, like a ladder, the rungs of a ladder. So you start at the very beginning, and the very beginning was poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, where we realize that we can do nothing to save ourselves. We need God. Then there's blessed are those who mourn, where we begin to see the awfulness of sin and, and what it did and what it does in our lives and um, what it does to others. And we see its destructive nature and that it leads to death, okay? The wages of sin is death. That's what the scriptures say. Um, and then when we get to this part where we begin to mourn, it's not just being a sad sack, but it's knowing, it's seeing sin through the eyes of God. It's God allowing us to know what sin is and what he thinks of sin. And we begin to take that on. We begin to see it as God sees it. And we begin to understand that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And we look at how awful sin must be that it requires blood to either in the Old Testament cover it or with Jesus' sacrifice to wash it away and to forgive it, but it required the sacrifice of blood. So we begin to see how awful sin is and the price that was paid was an ultimate price. It was an ultimate price. Um, then we see the blessed are the meek. Now, not the weak. <clears throat> we sometimes mistake meek with weak, like, oh, I'm just so soft and so tender and gentle. That is not what meek is. It actually takes a very strong person to truly be meek because meekness is when we are in submission to God's will. The truly meek can say, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done, where we can say, I know I want to go this way and I'm able to do this, that, and the other, but actually I want to do what you want me to do, God, and so I come under submission to your will, God. Then, we got, then we've got blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, now the follower of, of Christ has the life of God inside him. And a healthy life is one that hungers and thirsts. A baby that, that is not hungry and, and thirsty, is there's something wrong with it, with this new life. There's something absolutely wrong with that. So when we have this life of God inside of us, what should be happening is... We should be hungering for the things of God, to know God more, to know about the things that God says, to know more about the life he's called us to live. We hunger and we thirst for that. And the beauty of that is we tend to think of hunger and thirst as a bad thing, like, oh, I'm so hungry, it's painful, I'm so thirsty, oh, I'm parched. But God says that those people will be satisfied. So beautiful. Then blessed are the merciful. We become less judgmental toward others as we grow as a Christian because we know, we begin to understand more the mercy that God, that God has had on us by not giving us what we truly deserve for all the wrong that was done, that for all the wrong that we have done. And we don't get what we deserve for that. And as a matter of fact, we get grace. We get given what we don't deserve, blessings and favor and forgiveness. We get all that from God. And then we begin to look at others who maybe have wronged us in our lives or, or who are living wrong and whatever. And, and we don't look at them the same as we, in a judgmental way. We would now begin to look at them with, through the eyes of God, through mercy, the eyes of mercy. Okay, then we did that blessed are the pure in heart. We, we said in the end that a pure heart is one that is undivided in their devotion to God. 
God is on the throne of their lives and they have no idols that they worship. And you think idols in today's day and age, idols? No, we don't have these little golden statues. Well, somewhere in this world, people do worship little icons and idols. But the idols of today aren't necessarily the things of the past. Today, they could be our cell phone. They could be our car. They could be um, Hollywood and, and, and the stars, you know, uh, that are famous, that we just love them. And we, you know, we make them into idols in our life. But the, the, the pure in heart has undivided devotion for God. No other gods vying for the attention and devotion of that person. God has it all. Okay, today we are on blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, this is Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And some of the um, translations say... They shall be called the children of God, okay? Because I don't want women or girls to feel left out because they're not, because this is about being in the family of God, okay? And he accepts us all, men, women, children, doesn't matter, loves, loves, if you're human, Jesus died for you. Okay, so we have blessed are the peacemakers. Now this is the last beatitude that's based on our character and Jesus saves this for the last and if each of these Beatitudes enables, enables the next one, so to speak, and that's what we talked about, so you can go back and listen to that, that, you know, none of this can happen unless the first Beatitude, which is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Unless you realize that you cannot do this without God, then all the other ones are like, I can't do any of it. But you need to come to that realization that I need God to do this, okay? So each one is sort of a rung that leads to the next, okay? With this one, this blessed are the peacemakers, this, this final one being the crowning distinction of, of a Christian, of, of what a Christian character should look like, is, is a peacemaker. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if you've uh, looked at the news lately, but we live in a world that is very short on peace, okay? I mean, at this time, while we're even doing this, there's war breaking out in, um, in Europe, in the Ukraine. You know, Russia is on the borders of the Ukraine beginning the beginnings of attacking this country while the rest of the countries around and Western countries are, are trying to bring peace. Um, I mean, that's just one of the things in the news. There's so much, so much else. Um, yeah, okay, there's, there's uh, anger, hatred, and war in relationships on this earth, in our families, in communities, in, in countries. Why is this? Why is there much, so much anger, strife, and, um, and everything that is not peace? Why is that? Okay, well, last week we did a, a, a good talk on the heart, okay, and how important the scripture says our heart is. And the scripture says that everything in our life flows out of what's going on in, the, in our heart, inside our heart. And you know what? Inside the heart of so many on this planet today is anger, hatred, strife, and it all shows the lack of peace, devoid of peace. There's no peace inside. And what is on the inside is what is going to go and flow onto the outside. All right. So let's look at what the Bible says about peace 
and, and really how important it is, okay? And I have chosen just a handful of scriptures. There is so much, Old Testament and New Testament, about the idea of peace and, and how much God values peace. Okay, Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. 1 Corinthians 7, 15. God has called us to live in peace. It's a calling. 1 Corinthians 7.15, write that one down when you say, well, I'm not called by God, you know. Yes, you are. All of us are, have a calling on our life to peace, to live in peace. Proverbs 12.20, those who promote peace have joy. Who wants joy? Me, me, me. I want joy. Well, that word there, that's Proverbs 12.20, that word, those who promote peace, that shows you that it's active isn't it? Someone who plans it, who wants to intentionally bring peace to places, to situations, to family gatherings, you know, to, to our workplace. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone. Again, an action word, strive. It's sort of like those who promote peace, who intentionally want to bring peace. Strive for it. Strive for peace with everyone, it says. If possible, this is Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We know that, you know, sometimes we extend the hand of peace out to those who maybe we've had a quarrel with or, you know, we've said something or they've said something and we extend the hand of peace and it's rejected. You know what? As far as it is with you, if you've tried to make it right, genuinely tried to make it right, and you've been rejected, then you know what? It's no longer between you and God anymore. You, God, and this person. It's now between that person and God. You are free, okay? When it depends, just do as much as you can, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. I love that scripture. I love that scripture. First Peter 3.11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Again, seek it, pursue it. Okay, so what is peace? <laughs> what, is, what is peace? Now, a lot of my ideas have come from a word study article, which is called What is Peace in the Bible? Um, and it's called Word Studies, What is Peace in the Bible? Um, dated July 28, 2019. So if you want to look that up, you can go for it. But a lot of my ideas on what peace is according to the Bible have come from that. Okay, a definition of peace. One very common definition when you say, if you were to go up to someone in a high street and just say, hello, I'm just taking a little poll today. What do you think peace is? And they would say, well, peace is the absence of war or conflict. Okay, well, yes, it is. Well, the dictionary says this about peace. It's a state of tranquility or quiet. It is that, isn't it? Okay, so two good definitions. However, peace in the Bible is just a little bit different. Biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict or a state of rest. To understand, so that we could understand it better, according to the Bible, we're going to have to look at the original words. I know you say, oh gosh, you're going back to the whole Hebrew and Greek. Yes, we are, because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament is written in Greek, and we can get the idea better of what is being brought to the table here when peace is being discussed as we look at it in its original language, okay? Because our culture will have changed a little bit what the idea of peace means. 
Okay, so the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for peace is, and you're going to recognize this word, shalom. Okay, you've heard it. They use it today. You would hear uh, Jewish people greet each other in that way. Shalom, you know, shalom. means It means peace. But it also means this, completeness, soundness, and welfare. And it comes from a root word. So we've got this word shalom, but it comes from a root word, which is shalem, okay? Shalem, okay? Almost sounds the same, but it's shalem is the root word where shalom is the word where you would use as a greeting. Okay, so this root word means uh, making amends or making whole or complete. Isn't that beautiful? So when somebody is saying shalom to someone, they're actually saying to them completeness and wholeness to you. Isn't that beautiful? Like we just don't even understand. Sometimes to look deeper into a word really just highlights it and brings it to life. I don't even know if people really know that they're saying that because it's become a familiar word, I guess, in, in, um, in, a, in a greeting in their language, in the Hebrew language. But that's what it means. It means to bring um, completeness, soundness, and welfare. Okay, so shalom, that root word, is often used uh, in terms of making restitution, okay? For example, in the Bible, um, in the book of Exodus, if a man stole an ox or a sheep from his neighbor, he was to restore or shalom what he had taken under the law. So what he was meant to do was make amends. Uh, He was meant to, um, what he made incomplete, because he took something from someone, was to make it complete again, give back fully, wholly what belonged. Okay, therefore, um, having shalom means being in a state of wholeness or completeness without any deficiency or lack. Wow, that really expands that word peace for us, you know? Especially in these times when you think of what's going on in modern culture, what we see on the news, the anger. One group hates another group, people hating each other for race, for color, for being different. We hate people because of their religion. We hate people because of their, of their you know, it's just... And we look at this and we say, we need peace. What we're actually wanting is wholeness, completeness, bringing things back to a completed state, not broken bits anymore. I love that. It just makes a visual picture in my mind of what it is I'm praying for when I'm praying for peace in a situation. Okay, so shalom is frequently used in the Old Testament about the wellness of others. Um, And sometimes, like I said, it is translated as well or well-being or welfare, such as in, tell me about the welfare of your brother. How is your brother? How is your, your brother's shalom? Is it good? Is it bad? Tell me. Okay. Okay, so the word peace in the New Testament, so we did the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, in Greek, the word is irene, okay, irene. And so, right, if you don't remember that, what you should remember is what it means. And what it means is one, quiet, one as in wholeness, one, quietness and rest. Okay, and it originates from the root word, um, Iro, which is, again, you don't need to memorize that. You just need to know what that word means. And it means to join, to tie together 
into a whole. So it's not that different from the Hebrew in, in meaning wholeness and to bring something back together, something that had been broken apart or untied or unjoined and bringing it back together. That's what this word irene in Greek, the word peace, means. Okay, so the word irene in Greek means unity. It means bringing multiple parts together to form a whole and make it one again. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? When we're praying for peace, that's what we're praying for. When we need peace, that's what we're saying we need, okay? When we look at this world, it's often how we look at this world. We often say it's so broken. It's so broken. People are so broken. Minds are so broken. Um, uh, situations just so broken. You know, broken families, broken relationships. We want peace, Irene, to join together again, to make whole. Okay. Therefore, it means to bring multiple parts together to form a whole, whole again, such as two friends who reconcile after a fight. They need to make Irene or Irene, that is come back together and their relationship is made whole. Okay, so putting this all together now, the Greek, the Hebrew, let's talk about the peace of God because the peace of God is different from the peace of the world. Biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict. We talked about that. It's taking action, okay? Remember the word peace maker. These are the people who are blessed. Maker. It says that just that word alone is an action word. Someone who is looking to intentionally cause peace. Okay. So it is taking action to restore a broken situation. It's more than a state of inner tranquility, although it is that. It's a state of wholeness and completeness. Okay. And taking action to be able to, to, to bring that to a place is what a peacemaker is doing. Okay, so biblical peace is not something that we can create on our own. Just like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. That realization, the very first beatitude. You know, we realize, oh my goodness, I can't do any of this. To live the Christian life is so incredibly hard. It's so, how could I make something whole? This broken world, how could I make whole? How could I make me whole? Well, we realize, when we realize how, how estranged we are from God before we know him, before we are in Christ, how, how separate we are, the chasm that is between us and God, that chasm of sin, right? We're just on this side and God's on this side and never the twain shall meet, never shall they be joined together except except someone, and we'll talk about this, we all know who it is, someone, Jesus, took action to restore that broken situation. Okay, um, so biblical peace, we cannot create it on our own. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You know that list of the fruit of the Spirit? I believe there's nine fruit of the Spirit. One of them is peace, peacefulness. God is the source of peace, and one of his names in the Old Testament he is called Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And you could read about that in Judges 6.24. When Gideon, a, a man in the Bible, builds an altar to the Lord and he names it, the Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom. Okay? And what is, who, what is Jesus called? Is it who is Jesus called? What is Jesus called? Isaiah 9.6. It was prophesied that he would be the prince of peace. 
Peace comes from God. He is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Okay. The peace that Jesus is speaking of in this beatitude, Matthew 5, 9, is, very simply, is the good news that we can have peace with God. Okay? That's what it means. That's what he's talking about. It's a very specific kind of peace. It's the good news that we can have peace with God. And I'm going to elaborate on that. Now, now be, I talked about this. Because of sin, we were once enemies with God, the scripture says. So we were over here. Sin, big chasm of sin, God on this side. We can't get to God anymore because of the sin. We were the enemies of God. We were separated from him. Jesus died. He shed his blood for our forgiveness, for, for the payment for our sins. Remember I said that there's no forgiveness of, of sins without the shedding of blood. Jesus knew that. And he said, then I am innocent and I'm going to be that lamb that takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to go and do that for them. I am going to bring peace between them and God. And that we can read that Ephesians 2.13. Excuse me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ. We used to be far off from God, but we were brought near by the blood of Christ. That is what biblical peace is. It's being brought, we were far, we were enemies, and now we are brought near to God through the blood of Jesus. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard the word justified um, defined as this. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And it's being made right with God. How were we made right with God? Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we were justified. The word means made right with God. We were made into a place of peace with God. We were no longer enemies. Okay. Now, Jesus provided a pathway for us back to God. Uh, and you know what that's called? When there, a, a pathway, Jesus providing a pathway back to God is called reconciliation. And now we can be in relationship with God because of Jesus. That's called reconciliation. It was made right again. You know, that, that broken road, all broken. All, imagine that's a road. And we were reconciled, made right made nice and straight and connected again with God, reconciled. Romans 5.10, for if we were enemies, or if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Okay, beautiful. We were reconciled by Jesus' blood. So we're here to be peacemakers and we're, we're called to bring peace wherever we go, right? Because Jesus said that, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, we cannot give what we do not have, okay? What's not in our heart is not going to flow out of our heart. If you have no love, no love's gonna flow out. If you have no joy, no joy's gonna flow out. If you're filled with anger and hostility and hatred, that is what is going to flow out in every way, in every area of your life, right out your mouth and in every way. But when we are filled with peace, when we have accepted what Jesus did for us on the cross and say, Jesus, I receive that reconciliation that you provided for me, that making right with God. I received that into my life. Thank you for it, Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. And, and I don't want to be an enemy of God anymore. I want to be brought near to him. When that happens... 
then we have the peace to give. So peacemakers are people in, in scripture who are filled with the peace that was brought, bought by Jesus so that we could be near God again. And that's what, as a follower of Christ, as one of his own, that's what we have in our life. And we should be cultivating that. You know, Jesus is the one who brought it for us. Like I said, we can't bring our own peace. We couldn't fix ourselves. He brought it for us. But we are in him. And our journey with God and our character with God is consistently growing as we grow in God. And so our peace factors are going to be woo through the roof as we grow in him. You know, as we become more and more aware of what he's done for us, as we grow in our connection with God and our love for him, we're just going to be growing in peace. So the definition of a peacemaker is this, okay, based on what I just said. A peacemaker is this, people who bring peace to others because they have it themselves. How easy and beautiful is that? I love that. I love it when something, a concept is so easy. If you are a follower of Christ, then you, you can be a, you are a peacemaker. You're filled with peace. Now you just got to go out and make the peace out there in the world. Bring it. Okay. I guess another way to say it would be a peace bringer. Bring that peace that's in your heart and let it overflow in every place you go. Okay. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Again, the heart. Remember, we talked about this last week. The heart is the head office of everything in our life. So if it's ruling in our hearts, that peace of Christ, it says that since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. That's what it says. So if we're letting that rule in our hearts, we're called to it, to peace. And, um, and it's the head office. If it's ruling in our hearts, it's going to be overflowing from our lives. Okay, so last week we discussed the pure in heart. Now, and so the person who is pure in heart, go back and listen to it if you didn't. That individual already has peace in his or her heart. You know, because what was to be pure in heart? To be pure in heart is to have that undivided heart toward God. There's no tension pulling in all directions in that heart. No warring in that heart for the affection. All your affections are placed 100% in worship on God, in the heart of the, in, in the pure in heart. And in this way, we can see that progressive nature of the Beatitudes. Um, we also know that, like I said, what is in the heart will spill over. So that undivided devotion that you have in your heart, that no warring for, oh, oh, this, maybe, you know, I look to this instead of God, I look to this, or my security is in this or that. No, 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 in the, in the pure in heart, the pure in heart has this undivided devotion toward God. Now, please, let me tell you something. If one, it, looking at the Beatitudes, it could, it could encourage you and be like, yes, I'm right on target. Or, and this is more often the case, I mean, it is in my life, I see how, how much I fall short in every way. Sometimes I will find that I have put my securities in something other than God. And when I come to that realization, I'm like, oh, oh dear, that's terrible. I repent. I change my way of thinking because that's what repentance is. And I say, God, I want you back on the throne. I begin to look at scriptures and things that will help me to remember that God is on the throne in my life and to reject the fact, you know, that I don't want my, um, my devotion 
toward other things in God. Or, or I look at, you know, the merciful and I find myself not being merciful to people and, and holding grudges and being, you know, judging them. And then I have to, to, to get on it and say, God, I can't do this without you. I can't be merciful. I can't be pure in heart. I can't be any of these things without you. Sometimes we look at the Beatitudes and we think, oh, dear Lord, I fall so short. But let me just tell you this. We need to not beat ourselves up for what we're not doing, right? Or what we're not doing well. And we need to submit it to God and remember, you know what? I am not giving up. I have the help of the Holy Spirit. Yes, in the flesh, it's hard. And, and if I had to do it in my own flesh with my own willpower, I would fail. I would 100% fail. But I have the help of the Holy Spirit. He is my helper. He is my strength that God has given me, the gift in my life. He's, he's given me this gift of his Holy Spirit. He is going to give me the strength and the ability to do these things. Even when I fall, I'm going to get back up again with the strength of God and I'm going to go for it again. And you know what? The Christian always has to remember, okay, I'm not in the perfected state yet. You know, that comes when we go finally be with Jesus. You know, when we pass from this earth and we go to be with Jesus in death, you know, we go to be with him. That's when we are going to be perfected. But you know what? We don't have to, to just you know, cry tears of sadness because we're falling short. You know what? Let's just keep looking at the mark. Keep looking at Jesus and know, you know what? I didn't do so great today, but I'm going to do better and I'm going to submit this to God and I'm going to ask for his help. And the next time I come into this situation, I am going to be different. I'm going to be, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to put up a little flag and say, Gina, remember to be merciful. Remember, I've had mercy for you. Have mercy for others, you know, or, or, in any way, in any of the Beatitudes. So don't beat yourself up if you feel, oh, I'm falling so short. You know, in a sense, it's a guide Jesus is giving us to what the Christian life should look like. And yes, wouldn't it be great if we could all do it better? But you know what? We do this. It, it even says, strive for peace. You know, work toward peace. Now, the peace in our heart, we don't work for the salvation. That's fully 100%. Jesus gave that. That's by faith. You just say, thank you for the gift. Thank you, Jesus. You put the peace that brought me back in connection with God. Can't work for that one, okay? That is from Christ. But when we're falling short and when we look at the Beatitudes and we think, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that well, you know, I wasn't merciful, I, you know, I, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. Don't beat yourself up. You come to God. It says when you repent, he forgives you your sins and he's going to help you because he is your biggest cheerleader. God is. Yes, he is. Okay. So let's look at this. Um, so the peacemaker already has peace within, and this person wants to take the peace that they have, that Jesus bought for them, and that they've received into their life, that connection again with God, and they want to bring it to others. The peacemaker is not content that the work of peace and wholeness that has been done in their own life, because remember, peace is that wholeness. We're made whole again in God. Um, they're not, you're not content if you're a child of God to just, oh, there's me. I'm good. Pull up the ladder, Jack. I'm okay. No, the real true 
child of God is not content that it's been done for me. I'm good. And now I'm going to zip my lip and I'm just going to live in the happiness of the peace in my heart with God, me and Jesus, forget the world. No, that's not what we've been called to. We've been called to bring, be peacemakers and to take the peace that's been given to us in our lives and bring it into all the areas of our life, bring it into our families, into our marriages, into our relationships with our children and our friends. We're to bring that into the workplace. And, and the true child of God is not content to just keep it to themselves. They want to bring the good news that we can have peace with God to others, to everyone. When they see suffering, they know there's no peace in that heart. The heart. There's no peace in that life. There's no peace in that situation. And there can be. And I'm going to do what I can do to bring peace, to be a peacemaker in this situation. Okay, the blessing. The blessing for the one who is the peacemaker, Jesus says, is, and they shall be called the children of God or the sons of God. Now, here's a quote that was from my Bible, and I just thought, well, this basically just says it all. Why is that the blessing that they will be called the children of God? Okay, this is from my Bible. We display our family likeness by manifesting the fruit of the spirit of peace and in doing what is important to him, to God. You see, we're now in his family and we begin to manifest what it is to be in the family of God. It's like his DNA has come and become part of us and now that is what we want to do. We wanna do what our father has given us to do, make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And he also, and Jesus also said, I must be about my father's business. Well, what is, what is the family business that, that Jesus was in? Because we're in it now. And that business is bringing peace. We're in the family business, guys. That's what we are. And that's, uh, that's what I love that quote from my Bible, because it, it actually points out what we are. We are not part of an organization as a Christian. We're part of a family. We're part of the family of God now. Jesus says, call God now Father, our Father. We're in a family. And when you're in the family, you get to be in the family business, okay? And that family business is to bring peace. And the peace that we bring as Christians, biblical peace, is that we can go tell others they can be right with God, there is reconciliation. Though they are far off and have no peace, they can get that peace, that wholeness with God again. Okay, and Jesus, the, one of the very last things he said to his disciples was this, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Oh, you know, we're sons and daughters of God and we are doing what Jesus taught us to do, which is bring the good news that we can have peace with God, the family business of the new family that we belong to, God's family. Isn't that beautiful? Now, let's just point this out. None of the Beatitudes, like I said, are super easy. They're not easy at all. We need God to do them, okay? Now, being a peacemaker is not an easy thing, okay? First of all, being a peacemaker means this, that we're going to have to go into places where there is no peace, because you don't need to bring peace where there already is peace. To bring peace and be a peacemaker, we are going. We are called. If peace is a calling, then we are called to this world in every avenue of this world. 
to bring that peace. We're called to our families. We're called to our jobs, to our communities, to situations around us. So we're going to find ourselves in unpleasant situations, having to bring the peace of God, wanting to bring the peace of God. Okay. Also, Jesus was our ultimate example in being a peacemaker, wasn't he? And in order to do that, in order to be the peacemaker that Jesus is and was, he laid down all of his rights. You know, he left heaven for us and he lived like a human to come, to be among us, to show us what it was to have peace, to give us firsthand the information that we could have peace with God. He gave up his rights. You know, how is it different for us when we come into a situation? We're going to have to find sometimes we're very uncomfortably going to be in a situation where we're going to have to humble ourselves, come into a situation and, um, and be in places that, like I said, are uncomfortable to share the peace of God. Okay. Being a peacemaker might flare trouble. Isn't that weird? That bringing peace might actually cause trouble. But that's what happens. Not everyone is going to respond well to the message of peace. You know, look at the life of Jesus again, all right? He upset so many people with the most beautiful message that we could be right with God again. You know, that we could be in relationship with God again. He upset so many to the point that they wanted to kill him. Okay, now if Jesus is our ultimate example of being a peacemaker, then he showed us that to be a peacemaker involves loving others even before they love us back. How hard is that? How hard is that? To love others before they even love us, to love our enemies. That's what that's what we're called to do. To bring, I mean, that, that I would say would be the first station of peace that we bring uh, in any situation is to love the ones who do not love us back even before they love us back even not knowing if they ever will love us back that is hard and that needs the strength of God and you know what God Jesus was our ultimate example in that Romans 5 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us. We, we weren't a bunch of nice people. Oh, look at those lovely folk out there. We were enemies of God. And he made the decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring peace to these people. I'm going to show them my love. Even before they show me one ounce of love. Okay. And while he was hanging on the cross. And people were hating him. Spitting at him. Disrespecting him. You know taking his clothes and while this man's dying on the cross here, ripping them up and playing games with his robe, you know, casting lot, lots for it and stuff. There he was hanging on that cross, making payment for our peace with his blood. What an example. What an example, you know? Now, this kind of leads me gently into what I'm going to be speaking of the next time we meet up because I'm finished now. Now, the next time we're going to talk about the persecution that's going to come from a life that exudes all of the characteristics that the Beatitudes are pointing out. Do we get, we get blessed, seriously blessed, each one of those Beatitudes. I mean, we get to be called the children of the Most High God. What a blessing. What an honor. And that's not just words, my friends. That's a reality. 
You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. He is your father. And we can relate to him now in that way. That to me is just beautiful, beautiful. And one of the greatest blessings of all the blessings that were in the Beatitudes. And, and I'll tell you right now, just like Jesus wasn't blessed for it uh, by the world, the world didn't say, oh, isn't, aren't you lovely? No, they were wanting to stone him and kill him all the time. And just like all the apostles, they brought this beautiful word of reconciliation out there. All of them were martyred, except for John, who was, they tried to martyr. They just couldn't. They boiled him in oil and he didn't die. So they threw him on the island of Patmos to get rid of him. You know, the world may not always love what we do, but it honors, the, it honors God. And it speaks of you being in the family of God when you have a desire to bring to this world. And some will be so appreciative. Some will say, thank you so much. I could not. I am so grateful that you brought this word of life to, my, to me. You know, we are going to get that blessing in this life of some people saying, thank you so much for telling me. Thank you so much. Anyway, that's what it is to be a peacemaker. And that is the blessing that comes from being a peacemaker. I will see you again next week. God bless you.